Welcome, everyone, to Day 1 of Homeschool.com's Winter Homeschooling Teleconference. We do these teleconferences twice a year, once in January and again in August, and it's like a homeschooling how-to marathon where we have back-to-back guests. We have uh, two hours today, three hours on Tuesday, three hours on Wednesday, and another two hours on Thursday. So, so happy to have you with us. We have a big crowd. We have over 4,000 people signed up for the teleconference. And if you have to miss some of the calls, which is certainly understandable, um, the recordings are available. They're just like a dollar, a dollar twenty each, and you can download your own CD or to an MP3 player, and that way you can listen to them in the car as you um, take the kids around or in the house as you're um, doing dishes and cooking. That's what I like to do. So without further ado, uh, we are in the quiet mode now so that you can hear us, but we can't hear you. But I will open up the call at the end of the interview so that uh, you can ask some questions and get to know our guest better. Our first interview this morning is with Debbie Elder. We're talking about motivating kids as as easy as pie. And when we homeschool, when we interviewed our homeschoolers and asked them, what is your biggest challenge, it was motivation. How do you motivate the kids to become lifelong learners and so that they're doing their studies without um, tears or frustration, without us having to force them, which is what we all want. So without further ado, Debbie Elder, she is the executive director of the New American School, formerly known as Gateway Prep. We've interviewed uh, two other people from Gateway Prep in the past, uh, Howard Berg, who is the world's fastest reader, and you probably saw from the email, he has a speed writing course coming up with us next Monday, Speed Writing for Homeschoolers, which is going to be excellent. He also has uh, did a live speed reading course with us last year, and we have a recording of that available on homeschool.com. And we interviewed Dr. Cooney Beasley, who is associated with Gateway Prep, which is now known as the New American School. And his, he's an expert on uh, fast learning. We did an interview called How to Finish High School in Half the Time. So look in our recording archive for that because that was terrific information. So I'm so happy to have Debbie with us today. She's a professional educator and a speaker. She travels the nation training teachers and parents in motivation techniques and success strategies. She's also a tutor and a success coach for elementary through college age students. So I know you're going to be really um, happy having her with us today. And, Debbie, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so excited to be on the line with you. When we talked before the interview, you mentioned two important principles that you believe are necessary to keep in mind when discussing children and their motivation. Can you share those principles with us? I'd be happy to. The first one is that we need to remember, parents, that every child wants to succeed. The second one is that every child wants to please you, the parent. So really, I see our job is how can we make it easy for them to give us what we need and want. And throughout the call today, we'll be discussing specific strategies that you can implement that will help you with these two basic principles. And I'm so glad, as I mentioned in your introduction, this is what we all really want, isn't it? We want to motivate our children. So so many times the media portrays homeschooling and homeschoolers as crying over their worksheets shackled to the table, but um, I'm so glad you're going to give us information to keep homeschooling fun at all the times. Uh, Another aspect of your technique you mentioned before was to discuss with the parents their vision. Can you explain for us what vision is? Yes. um, 
what I like to do, Rebecca, in callers is I really like to think about what I want walking out my door at 18. In other words, if we can decide what the big picture is and what the big decision is, then all the other decisions become very easy. We're able to then decide, does this get me to where I'm going or not? And I think that sort of goal in mind really allows our parents and our children to stay on track and to achieve what they're trying to accomplish. So you say we should work big picture backwards, know what it is that we want at the end. Tell us more about that, please. Well, it allows you to have major guideposts. So when certain things come up in our life, we're able to make decisions based on what we truly want instead of reacting. I work often with my students in discussing the difference between responding and reacting. This allows us to respond as opposed to react. So we can keep in mind, you know, when they ask us a question or want to do something, does that get us to where we want to go? Let me give you an example. When my daughters were very young, they both played, um, one played soccer and one was in karate. And like all of you, I can only be one place at one time. So I decided to teach them through a method of role-playing and scripting how they could call to make their own carpool arrangements. And I remember my husband saying at the time to me, you know, Deb, they're really young. I said, I know. And it's going to be hard in the beginning, and it was. But what it taught them was independence, the ability to know that they can do it. I was right there with them. We got through the first time was awkward. But then they were able to move through that process and extend that learning to other areas because one of my big decisions was that I was going to raise very independent, self-disciplined women, and this was the first step. So that's sort of an, an understanding or an example, I guess, to help an understanding of what I mean by that. Can you give us some more examples of what other parents' vision is, You know that, that bigger vision for their children that they're working off of? Yes. Often we're looking for uh, citizens who are well-rounded, and by well-rounded, I don't mean that they've been through McDonald's drive through one too many times. I'm really looking for... <laughs> You know, kids and, and young adults that have gratitude, when you are grateful, you have joy. So one of the things that my students and my daughters do is we keep a gratitude journal. And at the end of each day, we write down five things we're grateful for because we believe and know for a fact that when you appreciate what you have, what you need will come. We, I also want thinkers. I want students and children who are able to think outside the box, think for themselves, and if we continue as adults to make all the decisions for our children, I think we really rob them of the opportunity to think for themselves. And I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through this, this hour. I'm also interested in my daughters originally and now my students to be able to be self-taught. I know how I struggled in college because I didn't have those skills. And so we spend a lot of time working through different strategies so that they can teach themselves, which is incredibly empowering and allows for the student to take pleasure and ownership of their learning. I also want self-confidence in my children, and that comes from different things we'll do. We often uh, we have a Toastmasters group that we have our students learning how to speak in so that they're confident to speak in public. Um, you know, self-esteem comes from what you accomplish, not from what you're told by others. And when we allow our children the opportunity to do things, then they earn that self-confidence that boosts their self-esteem. I'm also interested in having self-disciplined children. And the way to do that is to enable them to have a strong uh, sense of self 
And through positive self-talk, we are able to do that. I, I remember thinking many years ago that, you know, when my children leave my home, I want them to have the same strength that they will have when they're with me. How am I going to do that? And so I started when they were very young on giving them affirmations that they could repeat on helping them to build, if you will, a cassette tape that they would have with them in their heads that always would provide them with positive self-talk so that they could see that cup half full as opposed to half empty. Because, as Henry Ford said, when you believe you can, you can. When you believe you can't, you can't. And I really wanted them, when they go out into the world, to have that I-can-do-it attitude. And lastly, I wanted to be, them to be successful. Um, uh, I did a lot of traveling around the country, as you mentioned, and so I explained to my students and my daughters, you know, I really don't want to fly with a pilot who got a C in landing. <laughs> there really is very little difference in effort from getting a C to getting an A, and I believe they deserve an A. And so what I do is teach them how to get that A and also help them to value the effort that's involved so that they realize it's just this much more effort and I accomplish so much more for myself. Well, I think this is excellent, Debbie. So callers, if you have a piece of paper and a pencil or pen there, um, you're going to want to take notes throughout this whole week because we're giving you great information. But right here, maybe the question is uh, to ask yourself, when my children walk out of the door when they're 18, and then Debbie, help me on this. So the question is, when, I, when they walk out of the door, they're 18, is it what characters and values do I want them to possess and also what skills do I want them to have? Yes, I'm asking them to look at what are their values, their work ethic, their goals, desired, success strategies, people skills. You know, the, we talk a lot at our school about providing the whole child experience. My husband told me a story years ago about working with an engineer that was so incredibly gifted in the, in the engineering lab, but he couldn't send him anywhere because he couldn't navigate in an airport. And I went, oh, my gosh, I need to make sure that I raise my daughters to be able to handle the situation that life's going to put in front of them. And you have daughters, but, of course, you're thinking for daughters and sons as well. Absolutely. I have two daughters, yes. Okay, so that's Many that's students. A, so. That's an interesting question for, and I think the benefit of that is that it helps you make these little decisions too, right? What you're going to go to war on, and what maybe is a smaller oh point in the big picture. Absolutely, and I think being able to, as they always say, pick your battles is huge, and understanding you're not going to make big changes quickly. Change that is successful and long-lasting is methodical and. Sometimes we need to decide what we're going to work on with our children as opposed to doing the, the broad brush of fixing, if you will, all of the things that we want changed right away. So instead of responding to, you're always kind of pre-planning. Yes. And I think it's so important, too, to keep your eye on the ball as to what it is that you want for your children rather than putting your attention on what you don't want. Exactly. The, the kind of the catch-them-being-good uh, catch mentality that we were raised to when we had toddlers. Well, and that you need to continue with that because what you want repeated, you have to acknowledge. And that is probably, if you walk away from this conference with one piece of advice that you will put into action the minute you finish this call, I would like that to be it. What happens in our society, and I think we're all guilty of this, whether we realize it or not, is we have a standard, if you will imagine a line drawn across the middle of a page, and everything at and below that line is not okay. But everything above the line is good behavior. Unfortunately, 
we tend to spend so much of our time below that line. So when we talk to our children and we're commenting on their behavior, we forget to comment on what they do well. We forget the days where they behave when we say, well, that's what they're expected to do. But if you will remember and keep in mind that what you want repeated, you must acknowledge. So if you see your children doing something, maybe it's sitting quietly and working, tell them. Acknowledge it. And without putting any sort of judgment on it, let me explain to you what I mean. Um, When I first started homeschooling my daughters, they were working at the kitchen table. I had been upstairs putting away some laundry. I walked back down, and they were both seated at the table uh, doing their work very quietly, very intently, and I walked by and I said, you are really working hard. And they both stopped, put their pencils down, turned to me and said, thanks, Mom. So let's talk about that for a minute. What happened is in their minds they heard, you're working hard. I didn't say whether that was good or bad. But they finished the sentence with their self-talk, that positive self-talk we spoke about earlier, and decided that that was a good thing and then thanked me for it. And that's what I want. I wanted them to continue to do what I thought was uh, going to get them where we needed them to go to, which was to be hardworking and self-disciplined. We also used a a system called the, the CHIP system, And this has been uh, very advantageous in a lot of our schools. We've implemented this where the the teacher or the the parent comes up with what's important, what is going to make a successful student, what's going to make a successful homeschool day, right down from, well, they have to get up in the morning, they have to come downstairs, they have to eat breakfast, they have to clean up, they have to get their books out. And And I went through methodically everything that I wanted to happen in a day. Everything they did, I put on that list, and when they did it, they earned a chip. There was a few things that they would lose chips for, and then the final piece of that was I asked them to write down what is important to you, what motivates you, what would you like to cash your chips in for. And so they came up with what they want, everything from you know, a trip to go bowling or to the zoo or maybe just to go have a milkshake, whatever they could think of that they thought would be enjoyable and worthwhile. And then I went back and assigned sort of, if you will, a value for those of how many chips it would be. And that worked so well because when they're young, they need external motivation before the intrinsic motivation will come. And that was very tangible. It was very concrete. They could, you know, manipulate the chips. They knew when they did something well. And what happened was it was very clear. I was very specific on what I was looking for. Sometimes when we see our child or children doing something and we'll walk by and go, hey, that's great, good job, I like that. And, you know, Becca, I call those are like drive-by praisings. And they're not bad. I don't want people to misunderstand. But they don't allow the child enough information to repeat what it is you thought was so great. And if we can be very specific about what it is the child's doing that we want repeated, it's like a recipe for success. Now they know that when I put the dishes away, if I do it without being asked and I do it quietly and I put everything where they need to go, then that's exactly what mom expects. Does that make sense? It does. So it's better to be more specific then. Absolutely. So that they know... I'm sorry. And no, we have a little overlap on the line because we have so many people. But focusing on the behavior that we want more of. Correct. Correct. Oh, this is excellent. Uh, In your work with the New American School, I know you focus on producing, quote, the leaders of tomorrow. 
And I'm wondering exactly what does this entail and what do you mean by this? Well, we do a lot of things that um, probably are very different, but I think we do it because I think it adds so much value. Uh, of course, we have a big uh, sort of community service program, if you will. Our first year, the students, I have uh, had nine students that year who came and did school at my home with me, and we raised just under $100,000 for Down syndrome research. Uh, and that was done by going out and speaking in the community. Um, all of our students also uh, keep goals and write very, what we call, smart goals. These are specific, measurable, contain some kind of action, are relevant, realistic, and time-specific. And the students come up with their goals and write down, we try to keep it at about 10, and then every morning when they get up, they write their goals out so that it's very clear. Again, going back to that big picture, what do you want? And we had a group that started with us um, about four years ago, and they, these were sixth graders who wrote as one of their goals, I am starting high school courses January 2006. And the reason I had them write these goals was I said to them, you know, school's hard. There's going to be days where you're not going to want to come to school. There's going to be days when you're not going to want to do the school when you're here. And, but you always want the outcome. You want to finish early. You want to accelerate. So let's think about how to get over those obstacles because when you decide and you write every day what you truly want, you can get over, get under, get around anything that comes in your way. And the, the students that had that goal achieved it, and that really sort of catapulted them to the next level where they now, uh, not only do they write goals, but every semester we do an exercise called a wish list. And sort of the premise to this is, you imagine that Aladdin's genie has come and you've just rubbed the lamp and out he pops, but instead of three wishes, you get 101. And the reason that we do this is most people can tell you what they don't want. Mm -hmm. I want these children to be able to express to me clearly and to themselves what they do want. Because once you know what you want, you can have it. You can go get it. You can figure out how to achieve those those things, those needs, those relationships, those grades, whatever it is. And being able to focus on it has made a big difference in their lives. And so they are very driven because they've taken the time to identify what it is they're driving towards. So you have your, you have your students and your children do their goals, and you have them do the wish list. And I suppose the benefit of the wish list, too, is that if failure were not even a possibility, what is it that you would want? Exactly, and it sort of said, I wish, and they'll, typically what happens, Rebecca, is the first 30, 35 are very materialistic. They, you know, they, they want things. But once you get through that sort of section of it, then they have to dig deep. They have to really think about what's important to me, what do I really want, because that is very motivating. Once you figure out what you want, then you're doing it for you as opposed to trying to appease your parents or doing what you think you need to do. Now you've identified that if, if you want to be a surgeon, then you're going to have to do well in middle school and high school and college. So now it has a purpose as opposed to just doing it for your parents or your mom or doing it for somebody else. I really wanted to shift that ownership of the learning to the student. And I actually explained to my first group of students that, 
you know, I was a police officer before, and I don't want to have to police you. I don't want to have to tell you to get back to work and to do, to do the right thing and to sit down at your desk. And so when we set up our days, I set up uh, sort of a parameter of what I expect. But how they accomplish that is up to them. And again, getting back to that ability to make decisions. If I tell them you must do math first, then English, then geography, well, then I'm not allowing them the opportunity to learn what works best for them. Some students are morning people and like to tackle their most difficult subject in the morning, where others are afternoon, they get a big burst after lunch, and that's when they like to tackle what's difficult. I want them to figure that piece out. And that has allowed them to to truly excel in their studies because they're doing it for themselves. Does this work with younger children too? It does. The independence to work in the way and at the time that they want to? It does. And I think like any time we talk about offering choices to children, we need to remember that we only offer the choices that we're willing to live with. I was speaking once at, at a conference and somebody made a question about you know, asking her daughter if she wanted to wear this outfit or this outfit. And I said, and? And she said, well, she picked a different outfit. And I said, well, now you've got to decide. Is this, you know, clothing going to be the battle you're going to pick today or are you going to allow that one to go and wait for the next one? I used to teach preschool, and when the kids would come in in the morning, I would offer them, do you want apple juice or orange juice? Do you want your bread plain? Would you like me to toast it? And we would, this would continue. Do you want to read this book? On the floor, or do you want to sit on beanbag chairs? Do you want to go outside for this? Do you want to do inside? It was, do you want this? All day there was choices that they got to make because, as we all remember, and those of you that are still dealing with children this age, they don't like to nap when it's nap time. So when it came to nap time and the odd one didn't want to rest, I would say, well, do you remember this morning when you came in and I said, do you want apple juice or orange juice? Do you want to read this book or this book? And I went through all of the choices I had offered them, and I said, you know what? Now it's my turn to make a choice, and it's nap time. And they would, how do you argue with that logic? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's important um, to set very clear parameters of what you expect and then to allow them. It's like being micromanaged. If, if any of us had ever worked in an office where you were given a task and then very quickly after that told exactly how you're supposed to do it, I remember having a boss like that, and what went through my mind was, then you do it. You seem to have this all figured out. I think kids are the same way. If we will give them what needs to be done and allow them, within very clear parameters, to decide how they're going to tackle it, they're very smart. They will amaze us with things that they will come up with. And being entrusted with that is good. Now, not everybody's ready for that piece right now, and we need to, as I said earlier, you need to build up to that with your children, but I think keeping that in mind helps. Um, often if we're not clear in our intentions and if one day the rule is this and the next day the rule is something else, is they don't, the children, that is, are not allowed to develop the skills. At every age of development, each child has a specific job to do for that age. That's part of the way that we mature. And if their creative energy is spent trying to figure out if mommy's going to let him have another cookie before dinner today like she did yesterday, instead of knowing we don't do cookies before dinner, they can spend their energy on doing what they're supposed to do at that age. Does that make sense? It does. Now, the, the title of your presentation is Homeschooling is Easy as Pie, P-I-E. Mm -hmm. 
So what does the P represent? P is for planning, and it's really important that we involve the children in the process. So I'm always, when I go to homeschool shows as exhibitors and as a speaker, I'm always excited when I see parents who bring their students with them to look at the curriculum. Um, not that I'm proposing that the students should have the last or final say, but we are asking them to do the work. They should have some say into whether or not they believe that that program is good for them. When people call me to enroll their children in our school, one of the things I will ask them is, has the child gone to the website? Do they have any questions? Would they like to speak to a student who's already using this program? I think it's very important that we involve them in the planning of what's going on because not only, and, and homeschoolers are so good at this as a rule because we do, we involve our children in all aspects of our life and they are, they're so lucky to be with all of you because it's not happening, I don't think, across the society as a whole. It's also important that, um, that we allow our children to contribute. And by that I mean that in some cases it's having uh, different jobs in the home. And again, I, I think as a, as a group, we as homeschoolers are very good at this, but I don't want it to be overlooked. When I open my school, all of the students that come to my house are all given a chore, not because I need my house cleaned, but really because I want these kids to feel comfortable when they're hungry to go into my fridge and go into the pantry to get something to eat. And you don't feel that if you don't contribute. It'd be like going to a friend's house for the weekend and Friday night she says, oh, Rebecca, you've worked so hard with this conference. I just want you to relax. Don't lift a finger. And she serves you dinner and it's fabulous. And the next day you get up and she's got breakfast for you and you're thinking, wow, I am never leaving here. This is great. But by noon, afternoon, it starts to feel uncomfortable because we like to contribute and our children like to contribute. And that's another big piece of it. It's also important that we listen to them. They have uh, a lot to offer and they really they really do want to be a part of the process and that again as i mentioned earlier is how we engage them to take ownership of their own learning i've noticed that when i ask my my own children about the curriculum they tend to choose the ones that fit their learning style mm-hmm. so my is yeah so my auditory learner will automatically pick the methods the auditory methods that work best for him and my visual learner will pick the visual supplies and my kinesthetic will say oh this I can't do this or this one's not going to work for me they automatically tell me which method works best for them and also how they learn best which is fabulous for them to identify that at such a young age and just by us asking the question too exactly so P is for planning. Mm-hmm. So can you walk us through the planning stage of this program and why you believe it is so important to involve the child in this process? Well, let me give you an example. I, uh, my daughters wanted to go to Disney World, and I had been to three or four around the, around the world, actually, and my husband had already been, and I said to them, and they were probably, I think, nine and ten years old, and I said, you know, your dad and I have already been. I think that um, you guys need to do this for you, and one of the best ways to enjoy a vacation is to plan it and plan all the details and decide what each day will look like and where you want to stay and book the, the flights and get the hotels. And so they spent a lot of energy and time trying to determine all of this and figure it all out, and it probably was one of the best vacations they've ever had because they were truly involved in the planning of it. And I think it's the same even with uh, with the school day. I know when I brought my daughters and decided to homeschool. They were in public school, and I pulled them out, 
And I said, so when do you guys want to start school? didn't matter to me when they started. I knew what they needed to accomplish each day, so whenever they wanted to start was fine because that would determine when they finished. So they said, well, we'll just sleep in, and when we wake up, we'll start. I said, oh, that sounds great. Okay. So that's what we did. Well, they weren't finishing until quite late in the afternoon. They said, you know, this is too late. This is not working. We want to get up at 6 and start school. I said, okay. And that's what we did, and they were finishing much earlier in the afternoon, and they liked that opportunity to have some downtime before they went off to their evening activities. As they got a little older and hit high school, it was harder to get up that early, so they changed it again. That was something I was willing to relinquish uh, control over because it didn't matter to me when they got up to do their work, except that they must complete their work. And we've always dealt with negotiables and non-negotiables. And what was negotiable was the when and the how and the where. What was not negotiable was that a certain amount of work would be accomplished each day. And by doing this, they learned time management skills. They learned to take responsibility, to you know, write out a plan and execute it and realize, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to have to come up with an alternative plan. And as you go through this more often, and they actually take responsibility for the outcome, because they couldn't get mad at me because they were still doing school at 5 o'clock. They were the ones that decided to sleep till 10. And so that's what happened without even being discussed. And it allowed us to sort of stop the blaming and stop the battling. There was no power struggles over getting school done because from the beginning I was very clear on what the parameters were. So P is for planning. Mm -hmm. What does the I stand for? That is involvement. That is um, making sure that they are involved in the process. And one of the things that we talk about is sort of teaching them um, respect. Uh, we need to respect their ideas, as I mentioned earlier. One of the things that I taught my daughters very young was how to brainstorm and how to just be willing to, to think hard on somebody else's issues and problems as if you would on your own. We have a mastermind group. We meet each Wednesday with the students in my home. And the message there is you don't get it all. There's going to be people that are going to be able to do things better than you are, can think better in certain areas than you, but you have areas of expertise. And if you're willing to share your ideas and work as hard for somebody else on solving their problems, they in turn will do the same for you. Uh, respect is earned, and I believe as parents we need to respect our our children's ideas, opinions, and their time. And one of the things that I have found, and again, I'm sure it doesn't relate to anybody that's on the line, but I've seen this in some of my other work in the past where, for example, the laundry's been finished and mom decides it has to go upstairs now, and you know, Susie and Johnny are watching TV and it's their favorite television show, you know, what I really encourage parents to do is to give really broad sort of before dinner, I'm going to need you to have X done. And that allows the, the child to learn some time management skills, to feel respected that their time, opinion, and ideas are just as valuable as an adult. Therefore, they will have opinions, manage their time, and respect their own ideas. Because we really as parents need to lay the foundation for self-respect and we do that by respecting our children. I also think it's important to teach them how to make decisions. Um, and we discussed earlier about how important it is to offer opportunities to practice by giving them choices. And then it's important to let them own the outcome. Um, 
And when things don't go well, you know, my question to them is, how did that work out for you? Um, how would you handle that differently next time? Uh, allowing them to have the opportunity to go back and debrief and, and sort of reassess where they've been really involves them in the process of sort of betterment and improving their situation and knowing they have the power to do that. I was a uh, therapeutic foster parent for a number of years when I lived in Canada, and when the young girls would come into our home, they were all adolescent uh, females that we took in. Um, these were kids that had lived on the street, and so they, some of them hadn't been in school in years. So to walk in and say, this is how you're going to do school, these are the rules, you know, you're going to be in trouble if you don't do this, wasn't going to work. So I simply said to them that I recognized that they'd been in school for a number of years. They knew how to do that. And if there was problems, that I would come in and help, and help being the operative word, that if you're able to manage this, then you're fine. If you don't, you're just going to need my help because my job is to help you to be successful. And sometimes the way it's said and sold allows the child to take the help easier, and that's really what I wanted for these girls and for my own daughters and now my students, is to accept sometimes that there is maybe a better way or another way to do it after you've exhausted what you can do for yourself. So instead of just giving them fish, you're teaching them to fish. Exactly. So the P is for planning, the I is for involvement. What is the E for motivation? The E is for enthusiastic empowerment, and really... What happens is, and I know that I can be just as guilty of it as anybody else, when I'm going to present to a board for funding for the nonprofit I work for, I am very enthusiastic and I sell my ideas and I present it with all these colors and flip charts and a presentation and it's very polished. And some of I forget to put the same effort in with my daughters and my students. And I think that we really need to be enthusiastic. We need to sell them, if you will, on our ideas. And, you know, I like them to know that uh, success breeds success. And I have my students, at the end of the day when they go home, tell their parents what they did. Why was it successful today? Why did what you did work out so much better than what you've done in the past? So really some analytical tools. I ask them to keep a victory journal because oftentimes, and we all know as adults, when we're down, when we seem to have a, a sort of a stream of bad luck or what we feel is bad luck or things are just not going well, it, you know, when, when mom and dad tell us how great we are, it sometimes doesn't resonate the same way. It doesn't, isn't often enough to pull us out. But if a child keeps a victory journal where they take time to write when they have success down, they can refer to that and it's real because it's in their words, it's written by them, and they knew at that time that that was definitely a success. So keeping that and a gratitude, gratitude journal are, are two big things we do to ensure that there is sort of enthusiasm and an opportunity to keep that up themselves. Again, everything I do, once I've learned how to do it, I feel my job is to pass it on to my children and my students. How do I teach them to do what I've just figured out? Uh, we talked earlier about catching them being good, which is really, really important. Um, acknowledge what you see. Be careful with praise. Praise can sometimes be very judgmental. Um, I prefer encouragement where we, uh, well, I guess the, the definition for me of encouragement is the process of focusing on your child's assets and strengths 
in order to help them build their self-confidence and feelings of self-worth. So things like, I like the way you handled that. I know you can do it. You're working hard. You're improving. I really appreciate what you just did. Are very encouraging and non-judgmental. Um, we also want to, again, acknowledge what we want repeated, to encourage immediately. The minute you see something done well, the way you want it, it is the time to recognize it. Um, big one, and I know we all know this, and it's just good to be reminded, is to be consistent. Um, again, getting back to that developmental jobs that each of our children have at different ages, um, being consistent makes a big difference. I used to, when I was speaking to teachers around the country, tell this story about where I live is kind of out in the country, and I drive by pastures. And I remember one day going to the airport, and there was like these two cows had sort of walked to the end of the pasture at the fence, and then they turned back and looked at the rest of the herd, and it was almost like they were saying to them, okay, guys, I found the fence. It goes to here today. We can only go this far today. And I thought that's exactly what I think our children do if we're not very clear is they spend all day looking for where the fence ends. How, where's mommy's buttons today? And we want to make sure that those are very clear from the beginning so they're not wasting their time looking for them. And we also need to be very sincere when we're speaking with our children because even very young babies can discern if we're not being sincere and we're not speaking from our hearts. Um, Another tool that I have used very successfully, as I'm sure all of us have, is to let your child overhear you talking about them to somebody else, whether it be on the phone or in the grocery store, because that also says that it's real. It's just not what my mom and dad is saying, but they believe this so much they're willing to tell somebody else about it. Ah. You had talked about a child's basic needs. Yes. How do these basic needs impact motivation? Well... We have basic needs, and I think we all know we have a need for water and for food and for uh, shelter and all that, but we also have psychological basic needs, and they are, there's four of them, and it's love, power, fun, and freedom. Love is the feeling of belonging, of friendship, to be in a caring environment. It's not romantic love, but we all have that basic need. We also have the need for power, which is to feel importance to have uh, a skill that we're good at, whether it's, you know, you're the best uh, garbage taker-outer in the household, Johnny. You're, it's something that you do. You don't have power over somebody else. You have power because you are very competent at what you have developed as a skill. It's also important that we have fun and we have freedom, which is the opportunity to choose and to have independence and autonomy. And I think what happens is these needs need to be met on a daily basis to be happy. Happy children are much easier to motivate. And taking some time, and I encourage the parents to do this, to figure out what are you doing first off to meet these four basic needs each day. And if you'll just sort of take inventory at the end of the day, if you're not having a great hair day, chances are one of these has not been met. And I remember when my children were very, very young and we were living in Canada and Melissa was born in November, so there's lots of snow. And by the time you well, you guys know, by the time you get everybody bundled up to go outside, you've almost kind of lost the motivation to go out. It's, it just takes so long. And at that point, I think, had I had known about these four basic needs, I would have realized that at the end of the day, I was missing freedom. I just, I needed to get outside. I needed to, maybe to have my husband watch the kids a little bit more, but I didn't know about that. Um, 
I know with younger children, they suffer with the need for power because they we need to help them recognize where their skills are and to differentiate between power over somebody like a bully as opposed to power that you get from yourself. I think as adults, we need to be very careful that we're meeting our need for fun. Our kids do a great job of that. But sometimes we get so wrapped up into caring for others and making sure all of their needs are met. And, you know, that old saying, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> and in order for us to give, we have to be filled so that we have enough to give to others. And I work out with one of my neighbors every morning, and, and sometimes I can meet all of those basic needs before 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm with her. We have friendship. If I don't show up, she would miss me. She wouldn't get a chance to work out. Um, She's an orthodontist and oftentimes will struggle with, you know, getting her patients who are kids to brush their teeth or keep their retainers in. So we'll brainstorm different behavior management skills that I know that maybe she can implement that will make a difference. We have fun because if anybody's going to get up and work out at 5 in the morning, there better be some fun in it or you don't keep going. And we have freedom because that's, that hour is for me. That's a non-negotiable hour that I take for myself. And so if we'll keep those in mind and understand that our, our children also have those needs, I think you'll find it's much easier to motivate those that you're working with. Debbie, can you give our listeners some practical applications, some specific techniques that we can do, you know, that we can start today to implement on these excellent strategies? Yes, and I think some of them I've mentioned, but I'll sort of recap for you now. Um, setting SMART goals with your kids and having them write them every day has probably been the biggest motivating factor that I have found. And, and please understand, these are, this is not a to-do list. These are goals both short-term and long-term, and they don't have to all be academic. I have uh, one of my daughters is in karate, and she has specific belt goals where she will write, I successfully take and pass my black belt test October 15, 2006. And that's something that keeps her training and keeps her going with it as opposed to having them all academic that, that really isn't, again, we're looking for the whole child. Um, I do this with my children, too. We write it on index cards and tape it to our uh, bathroom mirror just, oh, to, just to see it every day, to read it over every day, to remind us, okay, don't forget about this goal and to stop the clock and celebrate it when they achieve that goal. Yes, our students and kids have goal books and they'll write every day. I send out a daily affirmation to um, a bunch of people, actually all of my students, their parents, and then a whole group of people I've met at conferences that are interested. And we write that at the top of the page. Um, and they are able to, again, work on that positive self-talk to keep inputting what's important so that they remember to, to keep motivated, to keep at it. So, for example, today's affirmation was, my ability to observe and pay attention is increasing. And it's just a reminder, and it, you know, your brain's a funny thing. Your content, your subconscious will re- believes what you tell it. It doesn't think you would ever lie to it. And so, on that premise, I want to make sure that what they're hearing and putting in is positive. Um, I have a saying with the kids, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You have to be very careful what you watch on television, what you listen to, what you read, what you see at a movie because it makes an impression, and we just need to be very careful of what impression and what information we're allowing to go in. Um, the CHIP system is a great motivational tool, especially for younger children, because it's concrete and because it forces us as the parent to be very clear on what we want, and sometimes that's the biggest step right there. 
we again know what we don't want. We don't want them fighting. We don't want them crying over their schoolwork. But but what do we want? And what is that going to look like? And how are we going to set it out so that our kids are able to do that so they're successful? Um, the 101 wishes exercise is great for, I like to have kids do that before they set their goals. Um, it's a very daunting task, and sometimes the younger ones struggle with it. But it, it really gives them an opportunity to be very introspective and decide, you know, what, what is important to me? And and how does my schooling fit into that? And also to be very respectful of both themselves and their ideas and also what their parents are doing for them. I know when my kids were young, you know, I, I remember taking them to the soccer field or the karate dojo and pulling the car up and stopping and saying to them, this is where you say thank you. Because we understand and expect that all of those types of skills are somehow given to our children through osmosis. But we would never take our child to their first baseball practice without you know, throwing the ball in the backyard and, and making sure they understand when they hit the ball to run to first base, don't just stand there. We go through all of these rules and expectations. And then often I'll see families out to eat at a restaurant and the parents are so upset with their children because they don't know how to act. Well, you need to teach them, and like we do, all of those pieces so that when they're in new situations, they're able to respond correctly. Um, I think acknowledging what you like and see is another great thing to start today, um, to remember that what you put your attention on will be repeated, will continue to grow. And sometimes you have to let some of the behaviors go for now and concentrate on what's really important, and then you can sort of get to those other sort of areas that need to be maybe tweaked a bit. But to sort of pick what's important, you know, when you get off this uh, teleconference, you, moms and dads, you might want to think about two or three things that you feel are very important to each of your children, and that's what you're going to concentrate on. And you might have to let some of the other stuff go right now because when you feel very successful, when they feel they're pleasing you, and again, we go back to the very beginning and our principles, they, you are so important in their lives. You mean everything to your children. And they all want to succeed, and success to them is pleasing you. And so our job is to make it easy for them to be successful. Debbie, can you tell us where we can go to find out more information about your counseling and also about the New American School? And then I'd like to open up the call and take some questions because I'll bet people would like to speak with you personally. Sure. You can go to our website, which is www.newamericanschool.com. The, all the contact information on there will lead you to me. So that's probably the easiest way to sort of get the word out. Let me spell that, Debbie. It's N-E-W-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com, newamericanschool.com. Yes. And you do some consulting with parents of, of elementary age students and high school all the way up to college age students. I do. I do that. I also um, speak around the country if there's a group or any interest in that, I'm also willing to come out and do. We do, I have one-day workshops with with children where I work on motivational techniques. I have one-day workshops I do with both parents and teachers that are on how to motivate their children, and then I do seminars that vary in length depending on the need. 
Well, um, callers, we're going to open up the line now. We have a lot of people on the call. Please press star six. That will mute out your personal phone, and that will keep the background noise down. As you know, we have a lot of people. So star six um, mutes your phone, and then when you want to speak with Debbie, press star six again. So the way we'll work it is that I will open up the call, uh, you ask the question, and then I'll go into this quiet mode and repeat the question again so that everyone can hear it. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to open up the call. Okay, callers, remember to press star six, please, to mute out your phone. (laughs) Thank you. Sounds like music. Hi, Debbie. Okay, thank you. Yes, go ahead and ask your question, and then I'm going to repeat it in the quiet mode, okay? Hi, I'm calling from Canada, British Columbia, Canada. And what I'd like to know is repeat the SMART uh, goal setting. You you said it was SMART, and you had an acronym for it. Let me repeat that. So, Debbie, our caller is from Canada, and she said that you had mentioned the SMART goal setting system, and could you repeat what that is? It's nice to talk to a fellow Canadian, eh? Okay. The SMART goal setting is S stands for specific. You need to make sure that when your child writes their goal that it's very specific to what they want. It also needs to be measurable. It needs to have action. It needs to be relevant and realistic. And it needs to be time-specific. So, Sort of the best example I can give you that we can all relate to is deciding to go on a diet. We've all probably done that at some point in our life, and we need to be very specific about how much we want to lose. The way we're going to know is we're going to hop on the scale and measure it, which also serves as a tool to measure it at different intervals to see if we're being successful or not. We're going to need to take action because if we continue to eat the same foods and not exercise, the chances of being successful diminish considerably. We also need to ensure that it's relevant and realistic. Do we really need to lose the weight? Is that too much? Is that not enough? And then lastly, we need to set a sort of a, a due date, a time specific on that goal that it's, we're going to lose 25 pounds by May 1st by exercising a half hour each day and eating lean meats and vegetables. So that, and then you can transfer this same acronym, which will help you to remember that when you write your goals, that if you'll just have your child take a second to just check to make sure it's a smart goal, they'll have much more success. Now, it's very important, as you said, to write the goal in positive language, right? You don't want to say, my goal is I don't want to get any fatter. No, you need to write it, and we also tell our kids to write it as if it's already happened. So I am starting high school courses January 2006. In other words, there was there was no doubt in anybody's mind that that was going to happen, and that's exactly what it, it happened. It happened for them that January. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go in. Let's take another question. Okay, callers, next question, please. This is excellent. Somebody has a new baby. So jealous. And callers, uh, please go ahead. And the one, the uh, person with the new baby, if you would please Hi. press star six and mute out your phone. Oh, I'm, sorry, I didn't know. No, that's all right. It's a nice sound. Hi, I'm Lisa. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Lisa. Go ahead. Hi, I'm in Nebraska. 
Um, I have a question about the making things, how to decide what's not negotiable with your child and what's negotiable. I guess I tend to try and micromanage, <laughs> and then we all get upset. And so just kind of some guidelines to help me keep them on task, but um, make sure that I'm not being too unrealistic or demanding of what they're able to do. And this that is makes- nice and quiet. Go ahead and answer that, Debbie. I don't think I need to repeat that. Okay. That's a great question and one that I get often. And I think I want to ask you, Lisa, to go back to what's your big picture, what's your vision, what do you want walking out the door at 18? And then you backtrack. So if you want an independent learner, then you can't be micromanaging, as you said, on every little piece. Uh, for me, I'm very negotiable I'm allowing my students and my daughters to work outside on the trampoline if they want. They can work on the hammock. They can work on the couch. That's, none of that matters to me. Uh, it doesn't matter to me when they decide to stop and eat lunch. It doesn't matter to me, you know, what they eat. They're, all of those are, those are not, those are very negotiable. What's not negotiable is that the day's not over until you're done. A good technique that I use is the when-then technique. So when your schoolwork is done, then you may go outside and play, then you may watch TV, then you may call your friends. But until it's done, and when I first started with my students, I had a couple who had dinner with me because they hadn't got their work done that day, and I I wasn't upset. You know, using empathy and validation is huge because if you truly want them to learn to negotiate these things for themselves, then we need to be very willing to allow them to stumble and using lines like, wow, how'd that work for you? I'm surprised you're still here. I remember my husband saying when um, two of my students stayed for dinner one night, he said, you know, we're just so honored that you chose to have dinner with our family and not your own. And, you know, they very quickly realized that they have the power to get the work done in the time frame that works for them. And it's a very empowering process when you allow them to make those decisions. Does that help? It helps. It helps, but my problem is they um, distract each other, mm-hmm. and they. I, I I don't have a way of getting them to be independent. You know, I can't figure out how to make them want to do the work. They they kind of want to, but then they get distracted by the other kids. Well, and if you have a certain amount of work that they need to complete that day, this system works very well because you simply say, here's your work for the day, and you you put it on their desk for them. Hello, Rebecca. And then when that's done, they are able to show it to you, then their their school day is over. They can go play. So if they choose to play and do school at the same time, that's an interesting choice. It just extends the school day as opposed to work first, play later. How old are your children, Lisa? Um, I have three girls, nine, six, and four. And let me tell you, the four-year-old is more studious than the other two right now. <laughs> he wants to do school all the time. And and I really need to do school more with the other two. And um, they are very much not interested in doing it right now. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is if you're very clear on what you expect, meaning, you know, mommy's going to work with you as long as you stay focused, but... When you're not focused, when you guys are playing with each other, I'm going to take that or I'm going to assume that you want me to stop for a while so you can play, and that's okay. Now, initially, you're going to have to be willing to 
as I did with my students, you know, when they stayed for dinner, I, I was still teaching. I mean, I stayed here with them um, until they were done. And that was an investment I made on purpose because I knew if I made that initial investment, I would be able to do things like talk to all of you for an hour and they're all working. They don't need me to be policing them or standing over them to do their work. Mm-hmm. Well, callers, I'm afraid we're out of time. We've been speaking with Debbie Elder. The topic has been motivating children is as easy as pie. Uh, her website is newamericanschool.com. She does individual consulting, and she has information on her website. Uh, her uh, high school program is very well respected, especially on how to finish high school in half the time. Speaking of high school, our next uh, interview is with Mona Lisa Harding. Uh, we're going to give people a two-minute break to run to the restroom, grab a drink of water. If you think you're going to homeschool 